Hey everybody, this is Mark and welcome to episode 32 of the Hard Rock Core Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you guys are doing well. It's been a while since I released the last episode. Took a little bit of downtime to just uh, sit back from producing these and doing these little intros and outros and uh, conversations. So uh, it's only been a few days, but I'm glad to be back and I'm glad you are listening. So thanks for tuning in. Hope everybody is doing well out there. If you've had a birthday, happy birthday. You celebrated an anniversary. Awesome. Congratulations. I hope you're all doing well and staying safe out there. Today's episode, I have uh, a great musician to discuss music with today. And I had this conversation a couple weeks back, but I held it off because this week on Friday... October 2nd is the release of the album from Amaranth entitled Manifest. I got to speak with Olaf, who's the guitarist, does the keyboards, pretty much the main songwriter for the band. And when they first came out back in 2011, I heard the album and I thought it was very unique because they have three vocalists. A female vocalist, a male vocalist that does clean passages and somebody else that does another male vocalist that does the growl the guttural type stuff it's very unique and the melodies and vocal lines are very positive the keys the guitar melodies very upbeat very uplifting music and as they've progressed in their career and i've been a fan debut album came out was awesome second album came out Again, another great album. But I feel that in that time frame when they put out, you know, three, four, five, they, the band definitely veered, and they've even admitted it themselves that they've kind of taken some different turns in their career musically. And when they started making this sixth album, uh, it seems like the planets aligned for them, that everything this band started with, what they were doing, has come full circle because there's a level of confidence in this record, in the songwriting, the hooks, the musicianship. You know, there's a lot of down-tuned guitars here, some in drop A or drop G as well. I think he may even went lower, but there's a lot of uh, great sounds. Sonically, this album is just on point. The guitar tones are probably the heaviest tones they've had in their career yet despite all that heaviness it still is anthemic and memorable because it's hook after hook after hook and people may lump them into that dare I say female fronted genre but you got to remember there is a female vocalist but there's also two male vocalists as well so it's a very unique thing especially when you see it live and talking with Olaf talked about the first time I saw them live when they opened up for Within Temptation uh, in Los Angeles many years ago and he remembered that show and I'm I'm sure they went over well night after night because they did in LA now as this album is coming out this conversation with Olaf was great because this he's a musician he completely is a musician and understands theory composition we talk a little bit about that as well and I, you know, mentioned to him that, hey, you know, I've enjoyed this conversation. I would love to come back 
and have a longer conversation with you in the future. And he agreed to it and said, yeah, you know, I would love to sit down. So when they get on tour next year and they get out here to Sacramento, we will sit down and have a great talk about music because it's always for me. And I did study music in college. I did study theory and composition. So I understand all that. So it's always great to connect with a true musician like that. Not that anybody's not a true musician. I'm not stabbing anybody with that. But that schooled musician, and when you can talk on that level with others, it's awesome. So enjoy this conversation with him. As always, you can find me online at hardrockcore.net, which has links to all of my socials, including Instagram, Twitter, the Spotify playlist, the YouTube channel, and of course, all of the information for the podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Anchor.fm, you name it, it's out there, give it a listen. So as always, I hope you enjoy this conversation. If you like it, hit the like button, share it with a friend, tell a friend, tell a family member, get people to listen. I appreciate you for sharing. And I appreciate you for listening. So with that, let's get to my conversation with Olaf. Enjoy the chat. Hi there, Mark. Good morning, or should I say good afternoon? How are you? I'm doing really well, and good morning to you. I suppose it's, what, like 10 or ish or something like that, where you're at? Actually, I'm in California, so it's like 7. Ah, okay. So, yeah, that's actually actual morning. <laughs> it's coffee time for me. <laughs> exactly, exactly. How uh, how's uh, your day treating you? How how's the environment over there right now? I have to say, strangely enough, it's uh, eerily normal. I mean, I, I think that the, uh, the you know the pandemic is still raging, you know, all over the world, more or less. And um, I mean, it's still having a lot of implications naturally, but I think the only thing, uh, the only way that it's affecting Sweden right now is that we can't have a concert for more than 50 people, but you know, all the bars and restaurants are open and people are even traveling as normal and no one, not a single person is using a face mask here also. And in the last two weeks, we are actually down to almost zero deaths a day. So that's a positive development. Uh, how has the government or the people, how have you guys had that kind of great progress? Cause I'd love to learn about that cause we need it over here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit strange because the thing is that Sweden was initially accused for, you know, using the whole herd immunity model or idea, but obviously our government refused to call it that. But at the end of the day, I think that's a little bit what, what happened. But I think it's also um, a question of culture as well, because Swedish people tend to be, uh, especially the Southern Europeans, they call us very cold because we don't hug and kiss all the time. You know, and uh, I think that we are kind of naturally or culturally socially distanced. So I think that's one of the reasons why it probably hit us a little bit less hard. The thing is also that we, our country is the same uh, height as, uh, you know, the, the U.S. Obviously a much smaller country in terms of um, square, you know, square uh, size or whatever you, you would, would call it, but we only have 10 million people here. I mean, we are literally like the size of New York City, you know, spread out over an entire vast country. So that also helps, actually. That's an interesting point. Uh, 
you know, because, you know, yeah, you mentioned in, in, you know, some of those parts in Europe, especially southern, you go down to Italy and France and areas like that, and they're very huggy. They kiss each other on the cheek, and I guess it's not – I've never been in, you know, Sweden, Finland, Norway up in that area, so I've, I wouldn't know that culture as well. No, but it's – um. It's a little, probably a little bit like uh, like people in Seattle or something like that, or Minnesota, but or North North Dakota even, but even more, you know, less. Because the thing is that Americans, you're you're not you know extremely hugging, kiss or anything like that, but you do have a tendency to actually, you know, you approach strangers, you 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 have a lot more, let's call it a lot more open mind towards other people, which is usually a great thing, you know, in in a you know, ongoing pandemic, it, it's not really an advantage. For example, I mean, public transportation in Sweden is a big thing, but, uh, and not at all like in the US, like even, you know, rich, successful people here use uh, public transportation because our cities are way too small to actually, you know, park cars everywhere. But still, you know, if you go into a bus in in Sweden, people always pick the seats, you know, as far away from each other's, <laughs> each other as possible. So there's also that. So we are culturally, you know, really different, actually, in that sense. That's interesting. Um, but, but you know, aside from all that fun stuff that's happening in the world, thank you for your time today. I appreciate you taking the time to have a conversation with me. And um, Absolutely. No problem. My pleasure. I, you know, I, I've, since the first album, I've been uh, a fan of the band and watching it grow. And I saw you, must have been seven, eight years ago, you were on tour in the U.S. with Within Temptation at the Nokia Theater in L.A. Yeah, cool. I remember that vividly. It was um, six six and a half years ago, to be to be specific. That was a fantastic tour. Great show, also. Yeah, it, it was great. And I know this year you guys had tours booked, and you were playing here where I live in Sacramento at a club called Holy Diver, and I think it's been pushed to next year at this point. But uh, you know, watching the trajectory and how you guys have come as a band and uh with manifest coming out next month i I, i've got to go on record this is my opinion as little as that may mean it's it's your strongest record i think the hooks the songs the structures the dynamics are completely where you guys have been your whole career but now it's all on one album yeah, thank you. It's a, pretty much a perfect resume. I mean, if you would have um, asked me my own opinion on the album, that that's exactly where I would have wanted it to be, if you know what I mean, especially before we started to work on the album, because it's one thing we always try to, to make, you know, as catchy and as powerful songs as we uh, possibly can, but we also wanted it to be, uh, you know, a resume of our entire career, but, you know, everything cranked to 12, 13. We also wanted this album to be, you know, quite a bit heavier than any of the previous records, because... You know, when people think back to the Nexus, for example, or the first album, first album was released nine years ago. So if you're, if you're, uh, you know, if a person is 27 years old today, they will, would only have been, you know, 18 back at the time. And maybe they were new to metal. So maybe Amaranth sounded really heavy to them at the time. And as time progresses and we were released Helix, people were still saying that, yeah, I still miss the times, you know, when, you know, Amaranth was a little bit heavier, but I made a comparison just <laughs> the other day, listening to Manifest and then going back, listening to the two first albums and, you know, quite objectively, it is much heavier, actually. So um, basically, it's exactly where I feel, you know, that the band should be right now in terms of songwriting and, <clears throat> and with the sound. So I really thank you for, for, for your comments, by the way. No, it, it is like there, there's not a filler track or a weaker song on the album. And 
maybe it's just what you've done maybe with the guitar tones are, are you tuned differently this time around or is it the same tuning because it sounds heavier yeah, that's the interesting thing at the, at the end of the day, because um, the, the really funny thing is that I'm literally using the, the, the same guitar and it's the same um, same amplifier. But what we really did is that we played a lot around a lot with the uh, with um, uh, miking of the, the cabinets. And we also tried a bunch of different cabinets. The tuning is generally lower. We had a couple of tracks on, um, on the Helix album, like the um, Helix song itself that was tuned to uh, uh, drop A. So quite low, but most songs are now in drop A and some songs are even in drop G. So it is a little bit lower tuned, but I think the main difference is that the guitars are in the mix. They are kind of uh, quite a bit louder, actually. I think almost like two and a half dB to, to talk about it in technical terms. And it was a little bit difficult, you know, always with Amaranth to, to have the guitars as loud as the, uh, you know, mixing engineer would have wanted them to be because there's a lot of vocals and a lot of keyboards. And if you raise the guitars, then it can kind of easily just squelch out everything, if you know what I mean. But I was very conscious about it when I wrote the songs, you know, uh, and wrote the guitar arrangements. So if I don't play any, everywhere all the time and really intensely, that means that we can raise the average volume quite a bit. That's interesting from the, from that production aspect of it and engineering, how you do that stuff. And that's, you know, the thing about what makes the band so unique, in my opinion, even going back to Amaranth, the first album, and Nexus, was that mm -hmm. the pop sensibilities you have with uh, her voice, and even on songs like this one, like Scream My Name or uh, Die and Wake Up, th there's a, if you stripped some of the heaviness away from it, you would have a pop song that would fit on Top 40 radio with some of that stuff. So it's very interesting. You, It's so, and I hate to use the cliche, but the, the, the what ABBA had done you know years ago and the influence that they put on music not just you guys but with other bands and the pop hooks with the female voice it really stands forward and but the dynamic of the you know the three different style vocals with hers and the clean vocals and then the growls the the guttural scream type things it's such a unique monster you guys have created but what you've done on manifest is i think exactly where you guys need to be yeah and i, I thank you for that and the thing is that I, I i think you are you know basically exactly on track when it comes to influences because the thing is that i mean my parents were playing a lot of abba music you know when i was growing up i wasn't necessarily listening to abba myself at any point in my life maybe with the exception of the last few years because they just like you said they wrote some really phenomenal hooks and some, you know, fantastic songwriting. But, you know, from the 70s and the early 80s, I think this imprinted some kind of, you know, footprint into the musical DNA of, uh, of Sweden, basically. And I mean, outside of Sweden as well, certainly. But, you know, all the <clears throat> artists that I kept hearing on the radio, for example, when I was growing up, they had a direct connection and a direct influence from ABBA, you know, having been kids growing up with that kind of music. And um, I think what ABBA did was... Um, before that, it was more about the, you know, the the Beatles, for example. It was more about blues. It was more about, you know, traditional folk music being combined. I think what ABBA did was to introduce or reintroduce classical harmony, basically. So I think they took harmony, you know, from Bach or from Mozart in order, and melodies as well, in order to make it as, as catchy as possible, like a resume of uh, Western, uh, you know, traditional um, music, basically. So... Um, 
I think it's um, just like you say also that if you strip away the metal parts, it does sound, you know, a lot like a pop song or, you know, a top 40 song. But you could also turn that, you know, the other way around that if you on Die and Wake Up, if you actually remove the, the keyboards and Elise is singing, then it becomes a really, really, you know, extremely heavy metal song. So it's really cool that you can take these different elements, have them kind of intact, you know, on their own actually, but then combining them and actually having them work together. And it's hard to do to be successful doing that. And you guys have, have put the perfect marriage to that. And you mentioned dying, wake up and yeah, you're right. And I was listening to that song and I'm, I'm mainly a drummer, but I have guitars around the house and I strum on things every now and then I was writing something the other day, just noodling mm-hmm. around. And I went, wait, no, that sounds familiar. And then I went, and I go, Oh no, that's kind of a similar progression than die and wake up. Like I go, I got to put that away. And that's the thing as a musician, I've always been very critical of my own uh, writing to Nope. It sounds too much like that to try to keep an identity. Do you, mm-hmm. are you critical upon yourself when it comes to writing? Like you, if you hear something go, no, that sounds familiar. I get away from it. Or do you still explore that Avenue? I think it's a little bit of both because you don't want to go too close into, um, you know, rip off territory naturally, but I think it's a great, great thing to, uh, to be inspired. Let's say that you hear a song that you absolutely love and then you can try to pick it apart and think what makes the song tick? What is it about it that makes it work? It might be the chord progression, but it can also be about the dynamics. It can be about the, you know, the general, general harmony it can also be about the melody it can also be about the production. So maybe you realize that, yeah, but it's, it's actually all about the sounds here. For example, it's something in the keyboard production that I actually love. That's, that's what I love about the song. And then you can actually try to emulate, you know, those kinds of sounds while actually writing completely different music, if you know what I mean. So I I think it's always a great thing to be open-minded, you know, as, um, uh, as a composer to just have your antennae, you know, completely open because, I mean, people in the metal scene might hate me for this, but you can take some really classic, you know, really heavy metal tracks and you can take that exact same um, vocal line and you can make a pop song out of it, you know, nine times out of 10, (laughs) unless it growls basically. So, you know, music is a lot more closely related between genres than people might believe. At the end of the day, it's the sound that really makes the difference between metal music and pop music, for example. It's the use of the heavy guitars. It's the use of the really loud drums, fast double bass and stuff like that. But if you actually look at the chord progressions that are being played, even in an old Iron Maiden, Judas Priest or Metallica song, it's, it's basically the same chord progressions being used as, you know, any top 40 song at the end, end of the day. Well, yeah, I, I agree with you. You've mentioned some things about, you know, classical or Renaissance composers on here and talking about, you know, influences that they've had and, you, you obviously understand the realm of music and the scope of, you know, a, a Mozart or a Bach or what they've done or, or maybe what Vivaldi has done and how these composers of their time who were, they weren't highly thought of them, but they're very, you know, cherished now for what they've done for us. And hearing you say about, you know, taking a, a metal song to a pop song or even vice versa, it's true. And I don't think anybody can hate you for that. It's a fact. You could, you know, if people listen to, Rage Against the Machine. I mean, pretty much every song is, you know, the, the same. I don't want to say progression. I love Rage Against the Machine. I think Tom Morello is a great genius for taking those simple little, uh, what, what would you call it, a pentatonic type riffing yeah, exactly. that he does? 
he does, you know, th- those, ri- everything is based in that similar, you know, pattern for court, but they've made a, a, a career out of that style of music. And it's just what they do. So I, I think we can all live and learn from each other when it comes to music, because even though you may not be a fan of a certain genre or style or artist, there's probably something there that's similar to, to what you do if you strip it all down. Exactly. And it's a perfect example, uh, you know, with Rage Against the Machine, because some riffs are, you know, ob- quite obviously in uh, Led Zeppelin territory, for example, and the, you can actually take it even further back to, um, you know, some old American blues music from the 30s or the 40s, and you can find strong similarities to, uh, to what um, Rage Against the Machine have been doing. The important thing at the end of the day was their combination of it, their sound, their interpretation, and the result, I mean, especially the first album is nothing less than, you know, completely spectacular. We still every now and then, you know, just put that album on in the tour bus and, uh, you know, all the guys just <laughs> go instantly crazy. That's kind of one band that appeals to all different kinds of people who like any kind of heavier sort of music, actually. Well, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And we all know, you know, Tom Morello is very politically active and I saw some of the things that were going on, uh, you know, in the last couple of months with all the political activity in the world. And somebody said, when did you get political for some of his comments? And he said, he's always been, the band's always been political. What, this guy obviously wasn't listening to the lyrics at all. No, exactly. I don't know. I mean, you know, from my perspective, I think that, I think it's fine, you know, if a band wants to be political and obviously with a band like Rage Against the Machine is kind of, kind of central to the, to the, you know, to the concept. But the thing is that, I think that you can you can still enjoy the music even if you're a you know a hardcore conservative, but it, probably you will have to turn a you know a deaf ear to <laughs> to the lyrical content. And that's been one of the things for myself is I appreciate good lyrics, but I don't let it determine my love or hatred for the song or a band. Because there are some bands out there who sing about things I don't agree with, but I I love the music. I love how the attitude in the music. And, you know, you read some reviews from critics and they base it all upon the message of the band, which I, if, if you want to, re, you know, read it for literary purposes or listen for that purpose, sure, but it's music. And uh, just hating an album because the message I can't agree with because I'm a musician and I appreciate music. I appreciate good vocal lines, dynamics, uh, the skill set, natural ability, all that stuff. So I appreciate all of the spectrum, not just the lyrical perspective. Yeah, exactly. And I think that um, there's, there's some people, and I, you mentioned journalists, I think they fall into that category definitely. There's some, some people where the, the lyrics are front and center. And I think that, you know, lyrics are important in the sense that they can heighten your connection to the music itself. But just like you mentioned, um, Mozart and uh, Vivaldi and Bach before, that music says a million words to me, and it's mostly instrumental if it's not an opera. And if it's an opera, it's usually about something that, you know, some Greek mythology thing that, you know, that was written, you know, 2000 years ago. But uh, and so at the end of the day, I think sometimes people should back down a little bit. It's same, you know, when it comes to movies as well, that, for example, a movie like, um, you know, the like the latest Star Wars movies, for example, it turned into, you know, big ass political discussion, you know, with female representation and diversity and, you know, these things. And at the end of the day, you know, 
for me, for something to be timeless, it shouldn't be connected to current political trends. It should be something that stands on its own and, you know, still appeal to people, you know, a long time after it's been conceived, basically. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, I, I know we're on a time uh, constraint today, but I, I want to, you know, question what's coming next for you guys as we lead up to release as far as uh, online promotions, videos, uh, live streams, what's happening for the world out there for you? Well, um, I think for, first and foremost, Amaranth is kind of a visual, you know, band in a sense. And we, we like to, you know, work with visual concepts. So we will actually record you know, it's going to be more music videos than we had intended initially. Since we can tour, we have a lot of time to be creative and we also have a lot of time to work on those. So that's definitely in the pipeline. I think um, because we have a new video coming out um, in something like two weeks um, based upon a song called uh, Archangel. Uh, and uh, then there will be at least three more music videos of this album, if not more, actually. And then we're also looking into, you know, some possible live stream but we need to find the right format for it you know because the thing is that with a, for a band like amaranth it's not the same thing for all bands but when this band truly comes alive it's with the audience in, interaction so we might actually hold off a little bit you know until they open up for slightly bigger shows in sweden like i said before there's a, a 50 per person limit you know for um, live performances currently but uh the swedish government is looking into raising it to 500 and if you know actually already from october 1st in two and a half weeks so for example if we can have 500 people you know at a smaller club for example and live stream that that's going to be phenomenal because then you really get the you know live atmosphere especially if it's being broadcast in real time you know but so, so we we will have to wait and see there a, a little bit but yeah basically also besides that we're being you know super creative at the moment on you know how to how to uh, return to the stage and what kind of stage productions that we will put on and you know these things because, you know, that's the upside of the, you know, the current lockdown when it comes to concerts is that everybody who's, you know, used to always touring like, you know, light techs or stage production managers and the bands themselves and record labels and so on. Everybody's being really creative at the moment. You know, how can we take this to the next level once we're back? So it's, it, it will be very interesting to see, you know, this this kind of live show boom and a baby boom when it comes to albums and other, you know, creative outputs once we're back to something more like normal. Yeah, I, I look forward to that because I think a lot of people with even the visuals or even the songwriting people have talked about, you know, I, I'm, I'm writing daily. I'm, I'm doing as much as I can now. So when we can get out there and tour, we can maybe have some stuff in the pipeline to do even singles or EPs just to back it up because they want to get back out on the road and, you know, get out to that. Nothing, nothing beats the exchange of being in front of a crowd and having them respond to your music. That's just unbeatable. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the uh, the band uh, feeds the audience, and the audience feeds uh, the band back, and from that, the band feeds the audience, and so it goes. If and if you have the right kind of you know, right kind of uh, interaction with the crowd, you can really hit that you know sweet spot. So that's what it's all about at the end of the day. And for that, you need a, a bigger crowd than fifty. <laughs> that's true, man. But I, I again, I know you're on a time constraint today, but I would like to ask you this, and you don't have to answer, but I would love to have a longer conversation with you at some point and kind of dig into more of the musical history and the training and songwriting structure with you and do a longer podcast with you at some point, if you're open to that. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sooner or later, we, we are going to stop by um, Sacramento, so we can sit down uh, then, that have, be- have a beer and have a proper conversation, record it. That would be phenomenal, man. I would greatly appreciate that. That would be super cool, yeah. Awesome, man. Well, look, thanks for your time today. I appreciate it. Uh, again, the album is is definitely manifest coming out on October 2nd on Nuclear Blast. Look forward to uh, the world getting it and listening, and best of luck to you this year. Thanks a lot, Mark. And it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. It's really interesting to dig a little bit deeper and, you know, into, even if we didn't get that deep yet, it's um, always fun to talk about songwriting and production aspects. Great. I, I appreciate the conversation very much. Same here. Likewise, man. Have a great so, day. Uh, have, have a great uh, morning. Enjoy your coffee. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. And that was my conversation with Olaf from the band Amaranth, who are releasing their next album called Manifest. This is their sixth album this coming Friday, October 2nd. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and a shout out to the family at Nuclear Blast for making this happen for me. You guys rock. As always, you can follow me at hardrockcore.net, which has links to all of my socials, including Instagram, Twitter, the Spotify playlist, the YouTube channel, and of course, the podcast information. As always, stay safe, stay true. Tell your family and friends you love them. Give them a hug and have an awesome day.